Is it time to break up Ticketmaster? Senators are calling on the Justice Department to continue examining what they call the anti-competitive conduct of Ticketmaster. Live Nation and Ticketmaster merged during the Obama administration in 2010. They now control over 70% of the ticketing and live events market. Experts say they're using their power to hike up ticket prices and charge very high service fees while exploiting artists, independent venues, and fans. What is your relationship with Ticketmaster like? Join us after the news. Hello, this is Julie Candler with the BBC News. Israeli forces have killed at least six Palestinians and wounded several others in a raid on Jenin refugee camp in the north of the occupied West Bank. The Israeli military says that one of the dead is suspected of shooting two brothers from a Jewish settlement last week. Yoland Nell reports. Witnesses say that there was a heavy exchange of fire between Israeli armed forces and Palestinian militants during this unusual afternoon raid in Jenin refugee camp. In a video message, the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu praised the operation, saying it had eliminated the gunman who shot dead two brothers in their car in the village of Hawara. The suspect has been identified as a man of 49, who belonged to Hamas and had previously served time in an Israeli jail. His two sons have been arrested by Israeli forces in a separate raid in Nablus. Palestinian officials have condemned the Israeli operation, warning it could lead to a new escalation in tensions. Police in Georgia have fired water cannon and pepper spray at protesters demonstrating outside Parliament. Hours earlier, it approved the first reading of a controversial new bill which requires any organisation receiving more than a fifth of its funding from overseas to register as a foreign agent. This report from Rehan Dimitri. Thousands of Georgians are protesting outside Parliament in the capital Tbilisi after MPs from the governing Georgian Dream Party approved the first reading of a controversial foreign agents bill. There has been widespread international condemnation of the proposed bill, which would require non-governmental and independent media organizations who receive more than 20% of their funding from abroad to declare themselves as foreign agents. The protesters say it's similar to a Russian law that has been used to limit civil liberties. The British government has put forward controversial new legislation seeking to stop tens of thousands of migrants reaching the country illegally in boats every year. Rights groups have criticised the move, but the Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, has defended her plans. Jonathan Blake reports. The Home Secretary told MPs anyone entering this country illegally would be detained and swiftly removed. New laws would, she said, enable illegal migrants to be held without bail or judicial review within the first 28 days. The Home Secretary would have a legal duty to remove those deemed illegal entrants and significantly narrow the number of challenges and appeals that could be made. Ministers say they can't be certain their plans are compatible with the European Convention on Human Rights but insist they will continue to uphold international law. There have been mass rallies across France and widespread disruption to services on the sixth day of strikes against plans to reform the pension system. Power generation, transport and education have all been hit. World News from the BBC. 
The White House national security spokesman says he sees no change in the U.S. approach to China after Beijing claimed in unusually frank comments that Washington was risking conflict. John Kirby said Washington sought a competitive relationship with China. Earlier, President Xi accused the U.S. of trying to contain, encircle and suppress his country. The Mexican president, Andres Manuel López Obrador, says a suspect has been arrested over the kidnapping of four Americans, two of whom were found dead on Tuesday. The group was seized in the northern city of Matamoros on Monday after travelling to Mexico for medical treatment. Will Grant has the latest. The information released by the governor of Tamaulipas was the worst possible news for half of the families waiting in South Carolina. Two of the four U.S. citizens had been found dead and two of them were alive, said Governor Américo Villarreal. They were apparently caught in a firefight between rival cartels in the city of Matamoros. A Mexican bypasser was also caught up in the clash and killed. Medical tourism is common in Mexico and popular, particularly among people living in U.S. border states. However, Matamoros is one of the most dangerous cities in the country and drug cartels control swathes of the state of Tamaulipas. Officials in Bangladesh say at least 17 people have died in an explosion in the capital, Dhaka. The blast occurred inside a seven-storey building in a busy market area, damaging several floors. More than 100 people were injured. An official said the blast appeared to be an accident. Four women's rights activists have been arrested in Zambia for taking part in a march the authorities say promoted homosexuality. The women were charged with unlawful assembly and giving false information to public officers. One of them is the co-founder of the Sister Sister Foundation, which organised Saturday's demonstration against gender-based violence. And that's the latest BBC News. Welcome, I'm Rose Aguilar, and this is your call. A month after U.S. senators held a hearing on the power of Ticketmaster, which merged with Live Nation in 2010, they are calling on the U.S. Department of Justice to continue examining what they call the anti-competitive conduct of Ticketmaster and Live Nation. They merged during the Obama administration. They now control over 70% of the ticketing and live events market. Experts say they use their power to hike up ticket prices and charge very high service fees while exploiting artists, independent venues, and fans. If you are a longtime concert goer, you have seen major changes when it comes to high prices. Here are just a few examples. Stevie Nicks is performing on March 23rd at the Chase Center in San Francisco. This is a huge stadium. The bleed seats are $99.50 each, plus a $23 service fee and a $6 order processing fee. If you want to be on the floor right in front of the stage, it'll cost you $482 plus a $71 service fee and a $6 processing fee. So let's talk about an independent ban and a smaller venue. If you want to see ALO at the Fillmore in San Francisco on March 25th, that's a Live Nation venue, it'll cost you $29.50 for the ticket. So that sounds great, $29 for a ticket. But there's an $11.75 service fee and a $5 processing fee. So in addition to that $29, you're going to pay $16.75 in fees. And this is very common. 
In 2022, Live Nation reported more than 121 million patrons attended about 43,600 events, as total full-year revenues rose 44% to almost $17 billion. This is according to The Hollywood Reporter. Live Nation CEO Michael Rapino made $70 million in 2017, according to the Wall Street Journal. That is one of the largest CEO pay packages ever. Last July, he signed a contract to stay with the company through 2027. So what should be done about this? Is it time to break up Ticketmaster? What would that look like and how would it affect ticket prices, artists, independent venues, and fans? Today, we're joined by Morgan Harper, an attorney and director of policy and advocacy at the American Economic Liberties Project, an organization that launched in February 2020 to help translate the intellectual victories of the anti-monopoly movement into momentum towards policy changes that address today's crisis of concentrated economic power. Previously, Morgan Harper was senior advisor to the first director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and she ran for U.S. Senate in Ohio. Hi, Morgan. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Great to have you. Mo Tasik is a senior fellow at the American Economic Liberties Project. Mo is a former journalist who's worked for several major publications. In 2007, Mo Tasik founded the feminist website Jezebel. She co-wrote an investigation for the American Prospect with Krista Brown recently called Ticketmaster's Dark History. It's about a 40-year saga of kickbacks, threats, political maneuvering, and the humiliation of Pearl Jam. Hi, Mo. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. Great I'm also, I should say, um, I'm still kind of a journalist and I'm an editor at the American Prospect. So. Oh, great. Well, thank you. I, your story was so good. I'm a huge Pearl Jam fan and learned a lot. So thank you for that piece. And I look forward to chatting with you about it on the show today. I also just want to mention that in October, a new coalition led by the American Economic Liberties Project, the Consumer Federation of America, the Artist Rights Alliance, and other organizations launched the Break Up Ticketmaster campaign. We also invited Ticketmaster to join us, but they did not respond to our request. And I also want to give out the phone number because we already got a few emails on this. If you go to concerts or events, what are your thoughts about the prices that you are paying and how have they changed over the years? What do you think about Ticketmaster's business practices and do you think they should be broken up? If you work in the industry, we'd also really love to hear from you. 866-798-8255. 866-798-8255. You can also email your call at KALW.org. So Mo, let's start off with you. I'm sure a lot of people are just wondering, this is a very basic question, but who sets these prices and how is this money distributed? I mean, just thinking about a $30 ticket, that's great. 30 bucks to see a concert. But then you have to spend an extra sixteen seventy five in fees. So how are those fees determined and how do they get dispersed? Um, it is a, sort of a black box how the fees get determined. Um, and it has been for a very long time. So um, Ticketmaster will tell you, well, the artists set the fees, the, the price of the tickets. And um, they've said that for a long time. Before Ticketmaster merged with Live Nation officially in 2010. Um, they had a 
kind that they still oftentimes use, where they are the ticket bastards. They are the designated fall guy um, who is willing to kind of put himself out there and be uh, reviled as a cover for the greed of the artists. And um, there is a kernel, a very small kernel of truth to that. But the fact is that from the outset, um, the fees were a shared system by which uh, concert promoters were allowed to share and would get kickbacks on the service fees. And that enabled them to recoup losses that they would incur by outbidding the rest of the competition for big name talent. So essentially, um, the you know that they would inflate the cost of the tickets and in, inflate the cost of the um, service fees um, as as a way of making back the um, the money that they had had sort of put up and it was all of these um, prices were sort of artificial to begin with but from the perspective of Live Nation and, and Ticketmaster really concert tickets have been. Um, artificially underpriced for a very long time. Um, and, and really, you know, if you compare them to Broadway shows or you compare them to goodness, I, you know, a night out at a Michelin star restaurant, really, they're, they're really cheap. And if you look at supply and demand, um, that is bunk, um, to, to be, to be honest with you. They control the plus, um, they control the supply very, um, uh, jealously and therefore they can kind of control the demand and make the price go way up um but um but yes uh so i would say that if in the you know depending on the um the uh the stature of the artist right um you uh, they will exert some influence over the um the price of the tickets but right now if you're um if you are Taylor Swift, or if you're Bruce Springsteen, um, basically they, t they tell you, you might have, you might want to make your ticket prices low. And that's what Pearl Jam wanted. And that's what Taylor Swift has long wanted. That's what Bruce Springsteen always wanted. They wanted their tickets to be accessible to regular fans, just as they were, you know, regular fans who didn't have a whole lot of money to spend. Hmm. And what Ticketmaster Live Nation has always told them is you're leaving money on the table, that money is just going to go to scalpers anyway. You might as well go with us and do this dynamic pricing system where your tickets will be priced more along the lines of airline tickets. And yeah, sure, maybe it'll cost $4,000 for a front row ticket, but hey, at least you're sharing in that um, cost. Um, they're basically told that it's um, that it's silly for them to even want uh, to keep ticket prices low. So in a nutshell, um, they the, the artists have much less power over the price of tickets than Ticketmaster would have you believe. Okay. Very good information. Thank you for that. Morgan, do you have anything to add specifically on the fees and how these fees are set? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. This is one of the things that came up in the Senate Judiciary hearing that you referenced in the very thorough introduction, I might add. So good job on that. Uh, you know, we that that hearing featured some representatives from a band called Lawrence the Band. And there was a bit of an exchange between the band member and the representative who was present from Live Nation, Ticketmaster, their CFO, about exactly this that Mo was also giving background on, who sets the fees. The line from Live Nation, Ticketmaster is that we are just beholden to the artist. And Lawrence the Band's response was, 
we also have lots of questions about what you mean by an order processing fee. What do these service fees mean? We don't have any say in what these are. We just have to kind of take it if we want to be able to enter venues um, like the Fillmore, for example, that are that are owned by Live Nation. And so it was a really revelatory moment of a lot of the misinformation that has been spread by Live Nation Ticketmaster, supposedly speaking on behalf of artists and hearing from an artist that is not a global superstar. They're a successful, but you know, more at a moderate level type of band uh, that they're being very blunt and brave to be, to be honest as well, because it, there's a lot of risk in being this honest publicly and saying, we have no idea where these fees are coming. We don't see this type of revenue. They actually broke down how much money they get on every ticket and it's barely enough for them to cover their costs of operating as a band. So what's the rub here? And that's why we saw after that hearing, Senators Amy Klobuchar and Mike Lee send a letter to the Department of Justice and say, hey, based on what we heard in that hearing, something's not adding up here. And you all need to seriously look into the potential anti-competitive uh, behavior of Live Nation Ticketmaster and setting these fees and other tactics that are preventing competition in the live events market. We actually have a clip from Clyde Lawrence we'll play in just a few minutes. But given what you just said, Morgan, about how it's rare to hear people speak so candidly. I think this is really important because, Mo, some of the things that you uncovered in your piece for the American Prospect about just the dirty business that goes on behind the scenes. I mean, we know that that happens when it comes to a company that is making so much money. But it, it, I mean, what are your thoughts about the, what Ticketmaster does to ensure that the complaints by the bands, the lawsuits that are filed, the investigations that are filed go nowhere because so much is at stake. Um, yeah, thank you for being, bringing that up because um, I wasn't the only one. I mean, I think a lot of um, uh, people watching that uh, hearing on Twitter were making the same observation. Lawrence was so incredibly courageous and um, Clyde, I guess, has been um, doesn't have a record label, has tried to operate um, outside the corporate system, the um, corporate music uh, system for his entire career. And um, so you don't see artists um, going on the record and making those extremely, um, you know, well substantiated and specific um, claims that he did. And I encourage everyone to, um, to check out that hearing if you haven't. Um, Pearl Jam was uh, way bigger than Lawrence. They were, after um, Kurt Cobain died, I mean, they were pretty much the biggest band in the world uh, when they decided to take on Ticketmaster. And it was similar. Um, they really um, had some specific gripes about the way that Ticket Ticketmaster was um, demanding these service charges and ha had all these sort of, um, had uh, wanted to install themselves as gatekeepers, even when Pearl Jam was trying to do a free show or a charity benefit show. And Pearl Jam started wondering, well, why can't Ticketmaster, if we're playing this show for Rock the Vote or we're playing this show for Planned Parenthood, 
why can't Ticketmaster um, give us a break on, you know, or why can't they take a cut in their pay? We're, we're doing this show for free, or we're putting up $40,000 of our own money to, to play this show. And that's really where um, acrimony started because I, and I think that it wasn't so much about the money, but it was about the precedent. They didn't want, Ticketmaster did not want Eddie Vedder to set this precedent where everybody was going to be haggling um, with Ticketmaster over, you know, the cost of, of a ticket. Um, so, what you see today is not a lot of artists who are willing to 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 go out there. They have, and you'll see this over the years. I'm, I've seen it from Nine Inch Nails and the Pixies and Pearl Jam themselves. They have all said um, sort of repeatedly, look, we choose our battles. If you want to make a living playing music as we do, we feel really lucky to be able to do that. We are not going to go up against this mafia. And that's essentially what they are. And um, if you read the story that we wrote about Pearl Jam's battle with Ticketmaster, Pearl Jam did a lot. I mean, Ticketmaster did a lot of really eyebrow raising things. They um, hired a, a, a sort of fixer who was connected to the mob and very close to Rudy Giuliani of all things um, to sort of per- tout himself as as a an investigative journalist working for 60 minutes um his brother happened to be a legendary journalist at 60 minutes um and so he was touting himself as somebody who was working on an expose of Ticketmaster's tactics and the whole time he was basically working for Ticketmaster collecting info um there was a lot of talk um from folks on the um Pearl Jam side who were trying to um uh, file an antitrust case against Ticketmaster and and get the ball rolling on the DOJ investigation talking about their offices being, you know, burglarized and in really important documents going missing. Um, the the whole lawsuit ended up, I mean, the, the whole case ended up getting dropped um, in a very sort of uh, corrupt uh, quid pro quo involving um, Phil Graham, um, a former senator who's uh, much more famous for his involvement in bank deregulation. Um, but it's really a, a crazy story. And what Eddie Vedder has said repeatedly about it is that, you know, this is why he, you know, after after that whole thing happened, he was, you know, 100 uh, percent Ralph Nader guy in 2000. <laughs> he really lost his faith in the political system and he learned what it was like to go up against a multi-billion dollar corporation. Now, Ticketmaster has gotten orders of magnitude more powerful since then because the entire bottom fell out of the recorded music industry. So that's a really important component of the story that's been, I think, a bit lost. It's not just about live music. It's about music, uh, period, full stop. This is how a musician makes their money. Back in the 90s, Eddie Vedder could say, hey, I just want to play free shows or we just want to break even when we're going on tour because we've sold tens of millions of CDs at $16 a pop. We are rich. This is not how the music industry works today. Everybody generates something. Rapino himself, Michael Rapino, the Live Nation CEO, who's very well remunerated, as you um, as you pointed out helpfully, um, he has said that uh, the average artist derives 95% of their income from touring. So it's you've got to understand to have one company control that entire industry, um, 70% of it or 80% of it, depending on how big you are, how big the venues you're um, working um, are. That is unbelievable. And of course, uh, very few artists are willing to kind of come forward and 
talk about um, how it affects them. Exactly. And Morgan, there's a, a fantastic video from More Perfect Union. Corey Doctorow is featured. Corey is co-author of Choke Point Capitalism. And he says, when we interviewed people for our book, we always gave them the option not to be named, but almost nobody took us up on it, except those people we spoke to about Live Nation. In most cases, those sources were anxious about even speaking off the record. So people are so afraid to talk about this. It's it's pretty incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something we found uh, when we were putting together the coalition that we launched in October of last year is there was a lot of trepidation, even among organizations. And if you look at our website, breakupticketmaster.com, you can see that, you know, we have organizations that represent musicians, that represent workers in the, in the music industry, that represent artists. Um, so even though those organizations don't necessarily connect to specific artist names. Uh, there was trepidation because of the past experiences that people have seen, because there's so much um, fear of retaliation from Live Nation Ticketmaster about being able to continue to earn your livelihood as an artist, like Mo was saying, in a very changed music, uh, music industry uh, dynamic where your main source of revenue is touring. And that was what was very interesting. So you know, just to give a little bit of background on the coalition, we launched in October. We we called it Break Up Ticketmaster, and with a specific call to action of Department of Justice, you need to do something. And then two weeks later, the whole Taylor Swift fiasco happened, and that's where the campaign really took off because we had a whole generation of Swifties who were starting to realize not just that they were mad about these junk fees on tickets, or you know, the very uh, difficult process for trying to get tickets to Taylor Swift's tour. They made the important connection that hey, there's this part of government that can do something about that. And, and that's what's been you know, really interesting here in trying to push back on this narrative from Live Nation Ticketmaster that, oh, Taylor Swift, you know, she's, she's in on it with us. She's making a lot of money in this process. It's, well, not exactly. Taylor Swift is also, yes, she's making a lot of money, but she is responding to the dynamics of the industry that the monopolist Live Nation Ticketmaster is setting. And so that's why you know we were so grateful to have our members of the coalition, the over 100,000 people that sent letters to the Department of Justice to bring attention to this monopoly and then has helped to feed the momentum that eventually resulted in that uh, Senate Judiciary hearing and hopefully the eventual unwinding of this merger. Let's talk about what else Ticketmaster has the power to do. In the More Perfect Union video, Corey Doctorow says that Ticketmaster bullies venues into not working with competitors. They bully smaller artists by denying them management. They bully big artists by controlling their ticket prices and letting their fans down. And they bully customers into paying exorbitant prices for tickets not only by enabling resellers, but by collecting massive fees on every ticket those resellers sell. And we'll talk more about scalpers and reselling after the break. But Mo, what else do we need to know about the power of Ticketmaster and what they are doing? Well, I think, yeah, I, to the, the list of, of um, stakeholders that are bullied by Ticketmaster, I would, I would add communities large and small. Um, I've spoke recently to a, um, a smaller town, sort of a second tier city or third, second to third tier city um, concert venue owner who's um, really uh, having a very difficult time um, trying to get more information from <laughs> uh, Live Nation, which is trying to open a large venue um, sort of across the street from her own and, um, and, 
put her out of business essentially. Um, so, you know, there's, there's, um, politicians, they definitely, uh, bully, uh, the crap out of any politician who's trying to pass any sort of regulation, uh, that they think might, you know, interrupt their uh, profit margins. Um, they, uh, but essentially, you know, and (laughs) what you need to think about, I think overall is like how, much there they are in this really dominant position right now so they have the power to both charge as much money as you can possibly fathom and that's not just about the ticket prices right it's about how you know the ten dollar soda became the norm in in venues across america or how the twenty dollar chicken sandwich (laughs) became the norm right um, they take those cuts or, or why, you know, when, when it happened that artists, um, needed to start, um, you know, parting with 40% of their, um, t-shirt sales just because they were selling them at the venue, you know, these, 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 um, sort of, um, gatekeepers that take a cut of like every transaction that exists and, um, and how that differs from the the really um, groundbreaking days of rock and roll or any um, you know or hip hop any sort of um, uh, thriving you know music scene that sort of gave birth to a lot of the you know the both of the the music uh, sort of cultures and and the the fans um, the fan bases that exist. I mean, it's really difficult to enjoy music and not be sort of upper middle class um, these days. And um, that's a very far cry from when even you know I was growing up. Um, but they one thing that I think sort of gets lost in in focusing on Taylor Swift, which they will, you know, I've had a lot of sort of Ticketmaster surrogates say, this is a story about, you know, spoiled suburban children living in mega mansions who are sad that they couldn't get a Taylor Swift ticket. And, um, you know, that's not really true about Taylor Swift fans uh, necessarily, but it really is, it, it shows you the contours of what they're, the story that they're trying to sell, what gets lost is a story like Astroworld, right? Um, a, a massive concert that Ticketmaster, that Live Nation Ticketmaster obviously oversold and um, cut corners on security and training to the point where one security guard told Rolling Stone that he left the concert before Travis Scott even took the stage because he feared for his life. And that was very prescient of him to leave because 10 children ended up losing their lives Mm. and hundreds got injured solely because Live Nation wanted to cut a few corners. They were headed out of this slump that they'd experienced during the coronavirus uh, lockdowns, and they wanted to make as much money as they possibly could. Now, Travis Scott has borne most of the blame for that absolute humanitarian tragedy, but six weeks after that concert, there was another festival where a rapper named Drakeo the Ruler, a very popular sort of underground rapper in um, L.A., was stabbed to death when 113 bloods uh, or blood affiliates wearing uh, crimson hoodies stormed the VIP area, his backstage area, and stabbed him to death. Somehow, even though, you know, it was supposed to be off limits to anybody but the talent. So what you see, and this is true of monopolies, whether they're railways or airlines or hospital systems, 
both the talent, both the labor, um, you know, being the, the artist and the customer being the fans are ultimately disposable when you have that much power. All that matters is money. And Drakeo the ruler was disposable to uh, Live Nation Ticketmaster. And so were those fans who um, were, you know, killed and and injured. And um, it's a really, really tragic thing. And it's not just about suburban Taylor Swift fans. I, mm. I hate to to break it to. Well, those are devastating stories. Mo Tasik is a senior fellow at the American Economic Liberties Project and a journalist who co-wrote an investigation for the American Prospect with Krista Brown called Ticketmaster's Dark History. I really hope you can take the time to read this. It's at yourcallradio.org. We're also joined by Morgan Harper, an attorney and director of policy and advocacy at the American Economic Liberties Project. Today, we are talking about the power of Ticketmaster. They merged with Live Nation under the Obama administration in 2010. Senators are calling on the DOJ to continue examining what they call the anti-competitive conduct of Ticketmaster. Is it time to break this company up? This is your call. We'll be back after this. This is your call. I'm Rose Aguilar. Coming up tomorrow, we will continue talking about monopolies by discussing Amazon's empire. Global sales were nearly $150 billion just in the fourth quarter of last year. 50 to 70% of retail sales online are made through Amazon. The Open Markets Institute says Amazon's web of control must be broken. We hope you can join us for that tomorrow. If you have a show idea or a guest idea, you can email your call at KALW.org. And if you'd like to join today's conversation about Ticketmaster and Live Nation, what changes have you seen over the years? If you're a, a live music fan or you go to a lot of events, if you're an artist or you work in the industry, we'd love to hear from you. You can also remain anonymous if you'd like. The toll-free number is 866-798-8255. You can also email your call at KALW.org. Morgan Harper is an attorney and director of policy and advocacy at the American Economic Liberties Project. Motasic is a senior fellow at the American Economic Liberties Project. A new coalition led by the project, along with other organizations, launched the Breakup Ticketmaster campaign. And I hope you can read Mo's piece, Ticketmaster's Dark History, that she wrote for the American Prospect. We have a couple of emails from listeners, so I just want to read a couple. Let's see, we've got John who says, back before the lockdown, I purchased tickets to see James Taylor and Jackson Brown double bill in San Francisco. The concert ended up being canceled due to the lockdown. It was supposed to be rescheduled, but it never happened. No refund was offered. I lost over $428. You know, John, you might want to keep trying because I did the same thing, but I got my money back from Ticketmaster because of canceled lockdown concerts. So I would say keep trying and maybe even contact the venue. Um, so I hope you are able to get your money back. Thank you for writing in. Gretchen writes, uh, recently bought a ticket at Cal Performances. They put on a hefty fee also. I would like to be told up front in the initial ad the total cost. Thank you for that email. Leslie writes, uh, actually it's not Leslie, that's the other email. Uh, someone else writes, I've worked as a vendor supporting major venues and promoters in the Bay Area concert -ish industry for many years. The San Francisco Ticketmaster office shares a space with the Live Nation office. Years ago, the FTC insisted that they separate it with a wall 
but they still share common areas. It's all a sham, and the FTC turns a blind eye. Live Nation controls the industry internationally and leverages their power to bully and take advantage of the artists, the vendors, the venues, the technicians, and the patrons. Live Nation has been working as the domination since its inception and previous related iterations, SFX and Clear Channel. So this raises the question about the government here, Morgan. I mean, when you think that Live Nation and Ticketmaster merged under the Obama administration and in Mo's piece, a number of people say we expected more from Democratic administrations because a lot happened under Clinton. Um, The 1996 Telecom Act uh, repealed federal caps on radio station ownership And as a result, Clear Channel went on a buying spree. That's very connected to all of this. And then the merger happened under the Obama administration. So what are your thoughts about what what power does the government have and what do you think they should do? Well, it's a it's a great question because we're in a, a very critical moment right now of change when it comes to what power the government has and also what they choose to do with it. But for background, I mean we we've been living through the past 40 years during both Democratic and Republican administrations in Washington, DC that have truly abdicated their authorities over governing competition in our markets across the economy, including the live events industry, though certainly not limited to it. And that's something that our organization, American Economic Liberties Project, looks at across the economy. Um, Big tech, one that, you know, an industry that might be very relevant to your listeners, uh, is an area of concentration, extreme concentration that we've been quite focused on. And so, What's changing now, and we did a report on some of the shortcomings, particularly during um, the Obama administration when it comes to antitrust decisions, approving mergers like the Live Nation Ticketmaster merger. What's changing now is President Biden has come in and he made it very clear early on through an executive order that he issued that that was going to change, that we were now, he was ordering different Um, parts of the federal government throughout the bureaucracy to leverage their authorities to improve competition in the American economy. And so that includes the Federal Trade Commission, that includes the Department of Justice, the uh, entity that originally approved the Live Nation Ticketmaster merger in 2010. But it includes a lot of other agencies too, you know, not totally relevant for this discussion, but just to give people a sense of it, uh, the Department of Agriculture, the Department of Transportation, et cetera. And has also President Biden and his administration has been able to put people in place to lead some of these agencies, like Jonathan Cantor, who's the head of Department of Justice Antitrust, like Nina Khan, who's the chair of the Federal Trade Commission, to implement that order, that executive order. And they've been doing it. And so, uh, you know, it's been publicly reported now that the Department of Justice is looking in and reviewing the Live Nation Ticketmaster merger on, and just to be clear, Department of Justice and Federal Trade Commission, they kind of split the uh, jurisdiction over certain kinds of mergers. So there's certain industries that are looked at by Department of Justice. This merger fell under their purview and Federal Trade Commission has others. Federal Trade Commission wasn't responsible for looking at this merger. But what they have been doing under Chair Khan's leadership is looking at these junk fees. So specifically in the ticketing business line that makes up the Live Nation Ticketmaster conglomerate, they have had a, a comment a, a proposed rule and a comment period that was saying they're looking into passing a regulation that would limit uh, companies like Live Nation Ticketmaster from imposing these types of junk fees, like the service fees, like the order processing fees that we've been referencing on consumers. And that's huge because 
yeah, I mean, for the past several decades, they've kind of been able to get away with whatever they want or, you know, they make some assurances that they're going to play nice and and not retaliate against any of their competitors or treat consumers well, treat fans well. And we all know that that's hogwash, like one of your listeners was identifying. And so we can't just depend on monopolists, large corporations to promise the government that they're going to play nice and do the right thing. We actually need the government to use its legal authority to ensure that these things are true. And then we truly have a free market. But without that level of exercising legal authority to govern um, some of these markets, then we see the results of that. And that's extreme concentration of power. And that translates and also to political influence and lobbying that Live Nation Ticketmaster has been spending on as well over the past generation. I want to provide one more example talking about the resale business because Ticketmaster also dominates this. They have their own resale software called Trade Desk. In a 2018 investigation, it revealed that Ticketmaster had encouraged and incentivized resellers to set enormously high resale prices. They get to charge service fees twice because someone buys them and then resells them. So one example is Dead and Company. They've got upcoming July shows at Oracle Park in San Francisco. They're all sold out, but you can buy resale tickets from Ticketmaster. The cheapest seats are $92. Again, this is Dead and Company. So, you know, think (laughs) about all of you who went to Grateful Dead shows back in the day. How much did you pay for those tickets? So the cheapest seats are $92 with a $15 service fee and a $3 processing fee. The front row seats are $575 with an $85 service fee and a $5 facility fee. So, Mo, what would you add? What what else, based on all the interviews you did, in addition to what Morgan laid out, what can the government do about this? Oh, my goodness. Well, listening to Morgan, you know, I... I'm, I would say that I am a little bit less optimistic <laughs> uh, just having um, waded through the history of these companies and how they, you know, going back through, like you said, Clear Channel and SFX. Before that, it, SFX was sort of, this is like the concert promotion cartel. It was sort of a loosely, you know, organized cartel that arranged itself around something called the North American Concert Promoters Association. This cabal sort of dates back to the 70s. And this is an interesting political story. So I'll just let you know a little bit. The um, After Watergate, there were a lot of major campaign finance reforms that were passed. And there was one major loophole, which is that nobody was allowed to give more than $1,000 to any given political campaign, but you could donate your services, or in the case of an artist, you could donate your voice, your talent, and uh, rake in massive um, campaign funds that way. So there became this cottage industry and Irving Azoff, who would later become the CEO of Ticketmaster, but he was also a co-founder and Ticketmaster Live Nation's only major competitor, AEG. Um, Irving Azoff um, was a major player back in this, this business of basically bundling political donations through um, uh, concert performances. Um, so there was this, there was a tendency dating back to the seventies to sort of look the other way at these, um, these emerging monopolies. Um, and uh, that was bipartisan. Um, 
as well, because another big player was at the time was um, a music label called MCA, which um, Irving Azoff was also the CEO of, but its chairman was a guy named Lou Wasserman, who was um, one of Ronald Reagan's best friends. So again, the political corruption here really dates back um, a very long time, and it has been thoroughly bipartisan. And there are dozens, possibly hundreds of companies now that comprise Ticketmaster Live Nation. Back in uh, 1994, when um, uh, the House Oversight Committee um, held a really uh, extremely illuminating hearing on this topic um, with Pearl Jam, um, one of the best observers was a rock critic named Dave Marsh. He's also like the best friend of uh, Bruce Springsteen. And Dave Marsh said back then that he thought that the only real way um, that we were going to see any reform was to impose utility style regulation on this industry, um, like the type of regulation that we used to have for banks and, um, again, power companies and trains and airplanes. Again, nobody really has this kind of regulation anymore. But in this case, there are so many mergers that have um, landed us at the, in the place we that we are. It, it does seem to be like that's something that we should at least keep in mind. And I think that um, that's going to require a major kind of uh, in, a comprehensive investigation along the lines of what Congress, the Antitrust Committee did with the Big Tech Four to really understand the nat- nature of um, this company's gatekeeping power in all of these uh, areas now, when it comes to your um, caller who wanted or your emailer who um, hasn't been able to get a refund, definitely I would add um, yes. Try again. These companies become a lot more attuned to criticism. They become a lot more responsive when they're under fire, like they are right now. So if you haven't tried in the past um, three months, do try again. Um, you know. Uh, Put it on Twitter, start, um, start really, we'll uh, amplify it if you want to send it to us, um, because they, they are responsive. And I think you saw that with the Beyonce sale, the Beyonce sale, uh, you know, uh, the, she, she's uh, going on tour, the, the Renaissance tour and tickets are extremely expensive, but the sale itself avoided a lot of the horrible snafus that dogged the Taylor Swift tour. And I think that's because, uh, you know, they understood that they, they messed up. They took it a little bit too far. Mo Tassik is senior fellow at the American Economic Liberties Project and a journalist. Mo co-wrote a piece for the American Prospect called Ticketmaster's Dark History. Morgan Harper is an attorney and director of policy and advocacy at the American Economic Liberties Project. The project, along with a number of other organizations, launched the Break Up Ticketmaster campaign. We invited Ticketmaster to join us, but they did not respond to our request. Now we would like to welcome Marshall Moran to the show. Marshall is in the band Mermans and is an organizer with the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers, an organization advocating for all musicians. Hi, Marshall. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. Great to have you. So we're learning because this I, I just this gets deserves a lot more attention, but we're learning about how musicians actually make money now. And so things have drastically changed over the past decade. So can you talk a little bit about that? how so much of the money is now made by touring? Sure. Well, you know, over the past decade, even a little bit longer, um, 
via consolidation in the industry, um, both on the streaming side and in the live music space, uh, it's become more and more difficult for artists to expect uh, proper payment for the work that they put in or, you know, a livable wage for the work that they put in um, just from the profits made from streaming and or and or ticket sales. Uh, So touring has become a major uh, major way of people to be able to make money. Um, Usually there's a lot a lot of merch sales that happen when people are out on tour. Um, There's opportunities to sell more of your music if you are, you know, if you're selling uh, actual albums like via Bandcamp or as a physical distribution. Um, And it's just a, it's just kind of the most common way in 2023 for artists to build and maintain an audience and be able to, you know, uh, make a livable wage doing what they're doing. So how difficult is it? Because it's, it's so interesting to think about, you know, the artists that are making a lot of money, um, they're going to be fine, but they're still angry about what's happening around all of this. So I'm thinking about some of the bands that, that are not ultra millionaires, like a lot of, uh, you know, like a Bruce Springsteen, for example, or Pearl Jam. So like, for example, Umphreys McGee, um, they tour mm-hmm. a lot. And I noticed that when you go to an Umphreys McGee show, they actually sell tickets through their own website. You don't have to go through Ticketmaster and they're almost always $35 with no fee at all. So do you, I mean, you have to be somewhat big, I assume, to get something like that rolling, right? Of course, yeah. The resources for ticket distribution uh, for a band are very limited unless you're able to do it independently. Um, there are a few services that work with artists um, outside of Ticketmaster, but for the most part, most venues contract with uh with live nation when they hold live nation events and have promote live nation promoted events there and um you know a lot of those contracts i mean we don't know exactly what's in them obviously but it seems like a lot of those venues uh, exclusively will use Ticketmaster for their services so if you're a band like umphreys mcgee and you're doing tours where you know that you're able to play um maybe their festival shows or outdoor shows and you know that you're able to work with the concert promoters to avoid Ticketmaster, then you're, you know, you can do that and provide a better experience for the fans, Um, which is ultimately, you know, it's really sad, like beyond the money for the artists themselves, most artists generally are mostly concerned with their fans and Mm. them getting overcharged right now because it's difficult for their fans to be able to get out to the shows. Um, You know, for a smaller band that wants to do what Humphreys McGee did, it's really impossible because with all the venues in the local markets partnered up now, you know, with Live Nation and using Ticketmaster, um, it means that you're kind of beholden to whatever they want the to charge. And, you know, it also means you're beholden to the percentages that they offer you. And it might mean that if they see you as a certain, you know, worth a certain amount, they're willing to offer you this that amount in various markets even though you might feel you're worth more or someone else might be getting more. So it kind of stagnates the industry. And over the past, like you said, decade or so, what's happened is you've seen just a complete shutdown of any sort of progress on rates. And so most artists have been sitting at the same thing. I mean, this goes back almost 20 years now, but you know, for most artists, they're struggling just to get through on these margins already. And then, you know, back in uh, 2020, 
during the onset of the pandemic, there was a Rolling Stone article that came out about a leaked uh, memo that had gone out from Live Nation about their them reassessing what they were, uh, their deals with artists. And at the time, they did some pretty egregious things like uh, standardize, they were proposing, I should say, standardizing a 30% flat rate uh, for merch cuts. So they would get 30% off anything that an artist sold at the show. Um, yeah, which is higher than it's ever been. Um, they technically didn't implement that as a standard, but anecdotally from people that I, I know playing at Live Nation venues, it tends to be around there anyway, even if it's not officially standardized. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because you're seeing these T-shirts now going for 35 45 or even more. Um, we don't have time to play the clip from Clyde Lawrence, the lead singer with the band Clyde. Oh, but when he testified in great- front of the Senate, he said, let's imagine we just played a sold-out show at a venue Live Nation owns and operates. He said, we have an 11-person band. So you got to pay all 11 artists, obviously. But after all the fees are taken out, they're getting $6 a ticket. And then to your point, he says Live Nation takes a 20% fee from our merchandise while we never receive a cent from concessions, alcohol, and parking. He said it's also important to note that as artists, we have to pay for our own health insurance. And we know how, that, how expensive yes. that is in the country. We don't have that yes. much time left, Marshall, but... What is it like today being a musician? I mean, how hard is it to make ends meet? Well, it's really tough. You know, we don't really have many protections. And the protections that we do have are very limited. The The few official ways of organizing, you know, uh, are, like I said, very limited at the moment. Um, most musicians don't qualify to organize along those lines, especially on things like this. Um, I'd say... We're suffering the same thing that most people are suffering, and we're in the same position that most workers are in. Uh, Over the past couple of decades, things have become more precarious as industry is consolidated and wealth has been redistributed up top, you know, upwards. And that happens in the art space. Uh, It happens in in the labor space. It, It happens in all spaces. And it's it's like you said, it's being felt straight up. So I think the frustration is hitting an inflection point for most people where you have, you know, Sony universal speaking about how streaming isn't working anymore. And you've got everybody upset at live nation Ticketmaster, And, you know, I think it's just as hard for us out there as it is for everyone else. Um, and, you know, we want to just make sure that we're able to, survive and eat and provide the best possible experience for our fans. Mm. Marshall Moran is in the band Mermans as an, as an organizer with the union of musicians and allied workers. Marshall, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. And we have just a couple of minutes left and I just wonder, we're still with Morgan Harper and Motasic with the American Economic Liberties Project. What can we all do about this? I'm a huge live music fan and I love dance performances and theater and I find that I'm not going to as much just because the prices are so high and kind of out of principle. You just don't want to pay these high fees and I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way. So um, we have about a minute left, Mo. What can people do about this and we also want to make sure that the artists and everybody behind the scenes uh, makes a living wage um 
<laughs> write your congressman, uh, write to the DOJ. Um, those that's keep the pressure on because that's what they respond to. They have limited resources. Uh, I do think that this is the problem. You know, people not going to as many shows. Uh, this is this is fundamentally uh, what uh, the fear that dogs a lot of. Um, folks who make their living in the music industry is that the the over time the 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 prices just are deterrence to actually getting out and seeing more music in a casual way um and then there are you know there there are still some indies who um there's a guy named uh sean agnew who owns a venue in philadelphia he's been fighting this cartel his whole life um and what the hell is his <laughs> he owns a venue or he's a partner in a venue um and their uh tickets are you know very uh affordable so seek out um, promoters and venue owners like that who are outside the system and just uh patronize them um and and when more of that happens there will be a little bit more leverage but yeah really focus on trying to to um get political change because that's how you the consumers don't have power Right. Especially with so much money in in Washington. Morgan, what would you add? We have about a minute left. Yeah. Echo everything that, that Mo has said. And just to put a, a fine pin on it is political pressure is the only way that we can compete with uh, Live Nation Ticketmaster's influence over Washington with the amount of money that they're spending on lobbying. And so we can, though, as regular people create that political pressure, contact your congressperson, let them know that this is an issue that you want them to care about in Washington. President Biden mentioned in the State of the Union that they're going to be in, uh, trying to move in Congress this thing called Junk Fee- Fees Protection Act, which would do something about the service fees and these um, order processing fees that we've been mentioning, the junk fees in the ticketing industry. But if we're going to get at the power of Live Nation Ticketmaster, which is really the problem, they need to be broken up and go to breakupticketmaster.com and let the DOJ know that you want that to happen. Morgan Harper is an attorney and director of policy and advocacy at the American Economic Liberties Project. Mo Tasik is senior fellow at the project. They launched with a number of other organizations, the Break Up Ticketmaster campaign. Mo Tasik is also a journalist and editor at the American Prospect, where she co-wrote a piece, really important piece, Ticketmaster's Dark History. It's about a 40-year saga of kickbacks, threats, political maneuvering, and the humiliation of Pearl Jam. Mo and Morgan, thank you for your work, and thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. And we will continue talking about monopoly power tomorrow. We will discuss Amazon's empire. The Open Markets Institute says Amazon's web of control must be broken up. We hope you can join us tomorrow. Thanks to BSOL for producing today's show. Thanks to Kevin Vance for engineering our show. And thank you for joining us. I'm Rose Aguilar. It's your call.